This morning's reading is taken from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 22, and we'll be starting at verse 15 and reading through to verse 46. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you, know, you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with the question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. 
He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. First of all, let's ask for God's help as we begin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my and all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever come across the concept of the gotcha question. The gotcha question. Uh, A gotcha question is uh, designed to be a question that gets someone, that makes them stumble, that like a rabbit in the headlights. Um, You know you've got a gotcha question because the person will go blank-faced and they'll either speak lots to cover up the fact they don't know something or they will go completely silent and be stumped at the question. And the gotcha question is the favourite tool, isn't it, of journalists? You may remember years ago, Jeremy Paxman asking uh, Michael Howard, I think it was, did you threaten to overrule him several times? 11, I think it was. You've probably come across it in business. How many of us have sat a job interview or given a job interview and been asked that question, what are your greatest weaknesses? I mean, if you say nothing, you sound arrogant, don't you? But if you say too much, well, they may not give you the job. And of course, those gotcha questions are received by Christians as well, aren't they? If God is all good and he's all-powerful, why is there suffering in the world? If God knows everything and he does not create evil, why did he make us knowing that we would fall? See, those type of gotcha questions, I don't hear they can have quite a bit of power over us. Uh, Perhaps we face them or perhaps we don't, but sometimes we can just live with a fear of being shown up that what we believe we may not um, know the answer to. Perhaps also those gotcha questions can cause us to doubt. Not that we don't trust Jesus, we do, but as we're bombarded with these questions in our culture, we might wonder whether there's this vulnerability at the centre of this truth that can't hold up against the tide's of the 21st century West. And I don't know about you, but so often I think it's easier to keep my head down, to not risk the gotcha questions and the embarrassment that comes, and to just lose the edge of confidence I have in the gospel of Jesus. But this passage this morning is a bit of a shot in the arm, I think, uh, for us, because it shows us that we need not fear the gotcha questions. In fact, uh, this is a series of gotcha questions Um, and Jesus' response to each one of them. We know that these questions uh, are like that because verse 15, we're told that the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus in his words. 
And you'll notice in uh, verse 37, not verse 37, uh, verse 35, when he's asked the question, uh, we're told that this lawyer is trying to test Jesus. Uh, Not in a kind of examination way, but in a way to trip him up. And so here Jesus is not facing kind of genuine questions by people eager to explore the Christian faith for the first time. These questions are designed to get Jesus in the headlights, to trap him, the gotcha questions. And actually, while these questions we see are very kind of ancient, very unique to Jesus' setting, actually they're the same questions that get asked time and time again, and Jesus' response to them encourages us as we face similar questions ourselves. So what are these questions? What are these traps? Well, the first one uh, is uh, that Christianity, I think, is dangerous. Sorry, that's not what I think. That's what the accusation is. Christianity is dangerous. See, the, the first gotcha question, it comes in verse 17. They ask Jesus, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, on the surface, it doesn't seem like the most severe of questions, does it? I mean, in the coffee afterwards, if you speak to someone about their opinion on what the tax rate should be in the autumn budget, you're more likely to send them to sleep rather than get them angry. But actually, this was the hot potato question of the first century. See, this sort of question could get uh, you crucified instantly. See, the tax they're speaking about there was a tax that the Romans put on the Jewish population. It wasn't paid by the Romans, it was just paid by the Jewish people. And it was a complete insult. It was a reminder every time they paid the tax that they were a people who were subjugated by the Roman Empire. So serious it was that a guy called Judas, Judas the Galilean, led a revolution in the 6th century on this precise point about not paying the tax. And um, here's some pictures from the time. Uh, there he is, Judas the Galilean, six century, uh, sorry, 6 AD, and uh, this is what happened to him on the next slide, yes, and all his followers. So the Romans completely crushed this revolt, but here we have another teacher in Jesus leading another group of people, talking about a kingdom and being from Galilee. And so you can feel, can't you, how loaded this question is. If Jesus says, yes, pay the tax to Caesar, well, he's going to lose all credibility with the Jewish people who hate this tax. But if he says, no, don't give Caesar the tax, well, he'll meet the same fate as um, Judas the Galilean. See, notice this isn't really a question about tax, is it? This is a question about loyalty. And so many questions we face today are getting to this point. See, they're they're really asking Jesus, who are you loyal to? Are you loyal to us, Jewish, the Jewish nation? Or are you loyal to Rome? And behind that question is another question. Are you dangerous? Are you a threat to our particular group? See, if you side with Rome, well, then you can undermine our culture But then if you side with the Jewish people, then you're going to undermine the state. See, they're asking Jesus, their accusation is, you're dangerous. 
And so often today, questions come from that same fear that Christianity is a threat. See, if someone asks you, um, what's your views on other religions? Well, that, that can be a genuine question, of course. But if you say, well, I think all other religions are wrong, well, then you're seen to be a bigot. But then if you say, actually, all other religions are right, well, then you're denying Jesus. And so you're, quite often you find yourself in that trap. Uh, without getting into the rights and wrongs of what lies behind the question, the, the Christian politicians, the first question they get asked is their views on gay marriage. Because if they go one way, well, they're seen as a bigot. But if they go another, they isolate potentially other Christians. See, many questions come with this same sense of Christianity is dangerous. It's a threat to one group or another. So what does Jesus do with it? Well, verse 19, he says, show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose portrait is this? And they told him Caesar's. And then he said to them, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, when I first um, used to, when I, sorry, when I used to read this, I thought that Jesus wanted to do a bit of a visual illustration here. He gets out a coin to show what a coin looks like. But actually, there's more going on here because the particular coin that comes out is a denarius. And uh, here's a picture of one. Uh, and basically, no Jewish people would touch this coin. It's like, yeah, you wouldn't be seen dead with it. First of all, it had the image of someone on it, which broke the second commandment. And then, around the edge, it spoke of Caesar as the son of God and of the high, as the high priest on the back. I mean, this is kind of idolatry gone crazy, really. I mean, no Jewish person would touch it. And even so, uh, even because of that, the Romans um, allowed them to mint their own copper coins that didn't contain any of this offensive material. But notice, when Jesus says, give me a coin, what do they bring out of the temple? Well, they bring out of denarius. Which is why I think Jesus calls them hypocrites. See, when he says, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, he's saying, look, if you're if his coin is good enough for you to use in the temple, well, then it's good enough for you to pay his tax. But the big thing is that you should be doing the same with God himself. See, these people weren't really interested in the answer. They just wanted to see which camp Jesus was in. But Jesus comes back by saying, look, where's your heart? So you care, you supposedly care about this tax even though you're hypocritically using it. But actually, where's your heart before God? See, it's amazing, isn't it, Jesus' answer here, because it shows us that Jesus is so much bigger than a political cause. Quite, quite often those questions about what we think of the issue of the day try to box Jesus in to one camp, one political ideology, one uh, party. But actually, Jesus is showing us he is a completely different category. But they've got another trick up their sleeves. Uh, it comes in this second uh, trap that Christianity is ridiculous. See, the second gotcha question comes from uh, the Sadducees this time. And um, Sadducees were basically kind of religion minus all the supernatural stuff. Uh, they only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, 
Because those books apparently didn't talk of all the sort of slightly supernatural stuff like resurrection and angels and all the exciting bits. See, I guess if they were here today, they would be what you might call a census Christian. Someone who ticks the Christian box on the census because they believe in God and because they've got no kind of major objections about Christianity. But when it comes to kind of the supernatural stuff, well, that stuff's a little bit more weird and they wouldn't necessarily sign up for it. And their gotcha question is designed to show that they're right and Jesus is wrong. And all this kind of supernatural stuff about life after death is just ridiculous. And so they come up with this incredible scenario. Uh, They start off by quoting this Old Testament law. We're not sure if anyone really followed it. Uh, But if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow. And so they come up with this scenario um, where the, uh, the first man dies. I think it's an animation, actually. Andy, perhaps if, I don't know if you can work that, but um, does that do anything if you click on it? Wow, that is a disappointment. So this was an animation. (laughs) This was, um, the first man would go, he would die, uh, and then the second man, um, you have to come see me later and I'll show it to you, it's incredible. Uh, But you get the point, the first man dies, so she marries the second, the second one dies, third one dies, and the big question, the, the kind of gotcha question comes... Whose husband is she going to be? Uh, whose wife is she going to be uh, in, after the resurrection in heaven? And it is the sort of question that would have stumped you. I remember I was having a haircut once, and my hairdresser said to me, um, so Jesus is God then? I was like, yeah. So he's God's son, yeah. And that means he runs the universe. And I was like, yeah. And then he said, well, who was running the universe while he died? And it's that sort of question, isn't it? You can ask me that in the question time afterwards. And many questions in our culture are like that. They're not designed to get to the answer per se, but they're there to just show it's ridiculous. But Jesus goes on to show us that it's not ridiculous at all. Verse 29, he says, You're in error because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like angels in heaven. See, Jesus' point is, look, you're thinking in terms of this world. See, if you push God out of the equation, of course it seems ridiculous. But why have you pushed him out? And he's almost criticizing their imagination. They're kind of limiting God, put him in a box and say, look, he cannot do this. But actually, he says, they'll be like the angels. They'll neither marry nor be given in marriage. See, the life to come is so different. Now, I know there'll be some of us reading that thinking, oh, what does that mean? I'm not going to be married in heaven. How can that work? But it's not meant to be taken as a negative. See, the point is that marriage is no longer needed because it is so much better than the picture. I love um, Martin Luther. I couldn't find the quote, but he, uh, the the reformer uh, about 500 years ago, Martin Luther, he said that actually the life to come is like asking a baby in the womb to imagine the world outside. It is unimaginable, but it is so much better. And Jesus says, you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. And he goes on to quote the Scriptures. And what Jesus does here is absolutely remarkable. 
Because if you were going to go and prove the resurrection from the, the Old Testament, there are some classic passages to go to. Daniel 12 speaks explicitly of the resurrection. Isaiah uh, 25, we saw a couple of weeks ago, speaks about this heavenly banquet where people will be raised. But Jesus goes to the Exodus. And what, why he does that is because they only believe in those first five books. It's an incredible move. And he says that God there says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And you're scratching your head thinking, well, how does that prove the resurrection? But let me give you an example. I used to be a cat owner. I had a lovely little cat called Moggy, and he's dead. Sorry to bring that up, but um, it uh, still gets to me a bit. But it would be strange for me to speak about me being a cat owner in this moment. If I said to you, yeah, I've got a cat, and you would say, where is it? And I'd say, it's dead. It would be a bit strange. See, but go back five years, and I was a cat owner. It made sense to say I was a cat owner. But yet, God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, long after they've died. And the point is that, to some, in some sense, God is still their God. The promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have not disappeared just because they've died. And so they must be raised for God to deliver his promises. See, this gotcha question, it assumes that God is so like us. He's like this world. He works according to our patterns. But Jesus blows that all apart, doesn't he? And shows that even the scriptures that people hold so dearly speak of God and the resurrection. There is, though, one last trick, and uh, it comes uh, in the final challenge where Christianity, uh, where I think they're saying that Christianity is ambiguous. See, this final question, it's a bit of a tricky one because I thought it just doesn't seem very hostile. You expect it to be ramped up, and then you get this question, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus seems to answer that question pretty straightly. But actually, we do know it's hostile, don't we? Because we're told that the lawyer who asks it is out to test him. What's the issue with this question? Well, it turns out that this was the favorite theological question of the day. See, each era has its favorite theological question, doesn't it? Um, Apparently, the medieval uh, era, its favorite theological question was this. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? You can ask me that in the Q&A afterwards. <laughs> uh, I guess today we ask questions like, is God a he? Is, what is God? What gender is God? And the big question in that day was about the law. See, there were 613 laws, and the big question was, do all of them carry equal weight? Or is there some sort of hierarchy to these laws, some sort of weight given to some and not to others? It's the sort of question that just runs you around in circles without any answer. You can imagine this lawyer just thinking, well, I'll just dump this question on him because it's so ambiguous. No one really knows the answer. But Jesus answers it straight off. See, he shows that actually there is an answer, that it's not ambiguous. 
See, so many questions, again, come to us, not because they're genuine questions, but because they're designed to kick the can down the road a bit further. Often I chat to my friends uh, about the Christian faith, and we get so far, and we think we're making progress, but then they say, well, there's just so many denominations, and there's so many translations of the Bible. And of course, they're valid questions. Of course they are. But actually, it just so often kicks the can down the road. But Jesus shows us that there is a way through. It's not ambiguous. There is an answer. See, he says that it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And it's almost that Jesus is saying, here, look, here's the answer. Go and do it. In fact, in Luke's gospel, he says exactly that. Go and do it. See, there is a time for questions, but so often we can hide behind those questions and hide behind all the ambiguity and not reach a verdict. And Jesus says, look, there is an answer, and now is the time to do it. And in the end, we see why we need to all respond uh, from verse 41. See, um, in the end, the tables turn and Jesus gives a test to those giving him um, these gotcha questions. And the question comes in verse 42, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, this is, is like the easiest question you might imagine. It's like asking, um, who's Charles... Uh, Prince of Wales's mother, and it's Queen Elizabeth, you know, and you think to yourself, why is he asking such a straightforward question? But then he goes to Psalm 110 and points out that actually there is this pointer to his identity right at the center of their answer. See, in the psalm, uh, David uh, speaks uh, about the Lord, which is pretty um, expected, But then he speaks about another Lord, one that is not him and one that is over him. The Lord said to my Lord. And Jesus' point is that if David is, uh, if the Messiah to come is David's son, why is he calling him his Lord? Why is he putting him on the same platform as God himself? It's a wonderful little moment, isn't it? Jesus just sowing that seed of doubt in this very famous scripture to say, have you seen me for who I am? He's not just another idea. He's not someone we can just say is ambiguous and chuck our questions at him. But he is in a different category entirely. He is no less than our God, our Lord. And once we see that, it does get incredibly uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because this Lord puts his enemies under his feet. See, in one sense, these questions are a preview of the judgment that Jesus has been speaking about in this gospel so far. See, these people, you can imagine the Sadducees working out this watertight scenario over the centuries and thinking, we've got him here, and Jesus just destroys it in a moment. And in one sense, that will be the process for every single person. No one will have a word of comeback. Not in a harsh way. Jesus is gentle with them. 
but He does speak the truth, and the truth does prevail. And wonderfully, Jesus doesn't just come to crush these enemies. See, even these very people who, in a moment's time, are going to be crucifying Him, He is trying to win them. He encourages them in verse 21 to give back to God what's God's. And He warns them that the resurrection is a true idea. See, He's showing them that actually belief is believable. To not hide behind those questions. To come to put uh, their trust in Him and not face his judgment. Going back to what we said at the beginning, it's very easy, isn't it, to fear the gotcha questions. And of course, we want to encourage questions here at St. Mary's. We love people asking questions. We've got a little course called Christianity Explore, which is all about asking questions. But actually, it reminds us, doesn't it, that actually those questions are answered in the Lord Jesus. They're not something we can just hide behind forever. And here we see examples, I think, which we can learn from as we go out to ask these questions. See, Jesus is clever in not falling into the trap, not hiding behind the truth. He's very clear about the truth. But actually not show it, not just falling into people's categories of him. But so much more, I think this is here to give us confidence in the fact that Jesus can deal with these sort of questions. There's no vulnerability at the center of the gospel that will show Jesus up. There's no question too hard for Jesus. There's no lack of clarity. Yes, we've got questions, but they will all find their answer in him and him alone. And as we take this gospel out, well, yes, we may have all sorts of fears and doubts, but actually, if we introduce people to Jesus, we will find that he does have those answers. We don't have to be a clever academic, and academics quite often don't know the answers to the easiest questions. Uh, we don't have to be flashy. We don't have to be an evangelist. But all of us can point people to the Lord Jesus. And as we do, we will find our questions answered in him. Uh, the Victorian preacher Spurgeon says these words, The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for the Lord Jesus, for his wisdom, for his character, for his integrity. And Father, thank you for the way he gives us all confidence in him. We pray, Father, that we would be those who ask questions with reverence, with, uh, in the right way. And we pray, our Father, that you would, as a church, give us great confidence in the Lord Jesus. And we ask in his name. Amen. Okay, so it's uh, Q&A answer time, Rob. Um, can I just say, I find this really, really helpful. We, um, I know you don't do it every week at the 10.30, but at the 6 o'clock service, we have this every week. And um, I just think it's brilliant to get questions answered right there in the service, um, because you go home, you have lunch, you forget about it. So I think it's really good, but it's also quite a hard thing, I think. So, um, yeah, thanks for, for being really... <laughs> looking at these questions, it's quite a hard thing. Right, no, so, uh, well, you've invited this one, so let's get out of the way. Who was in charge of the universe when Jesus was being crucified? 
I am. You are now. Sorry, if you missed that joke at home, it sounds like a gotcha question. Uh, thank you. Um, Jesus was. Uh, so uh, uh, this, this is what I try to tell my hairdresser. Um, so technically speaking, we should. Jesus has two natures. He's one, uh, one person, but he, he is fully God and fully man. And when Jesus died, it wasn't that God died. He died according to his human nature. And so Jesus was still God and still running the universe. Great. I think. Thank you. I'd like to say they all get easier from there, but I don't think they do. <laughs> um, so um, how should uh, we as Christians answer uh, questions on gay marriage without being accused of bigotry while not denying Jesus? Yeah, I think... Um, that's a really helpful question and probably one that I can't do justice to now. Um, I think it's worth asking yourself, who's the questioner here? So, because people, as we've seen today, people come at these things from all different uh, paths. So someone may be coming generally because they've not thought about this and, you know, they're they're investigating Christianity for the first time. Uh, Some people may come because uh, this is a live question for them. Uh, Some people may come pretty hostile and um, wanting to kind of just call you out as a bigot. And I think just we need a bit of sophistication to to not treat, you know, the person asking a genuine question like the person who's trying to call us out as, as bigots. Um, so I think, yeah, first of all, just taking a breath, asking yourself who's the person asking. Um, and I think we've just got to do a lot of work, especially in our culture, to not accept... Um, the way questions are asked, um, to not accept that they necessarily we mean the same things by using the same language. So, for example, the question um, uh, is home, homosexuality a sin, which is which was asked to Christian politicians. What we mean by sin and what other people mean by sin, I think, you might not necessarily cross over. So, you know, I'm talking like if we've got half hour with someone trying to say actually let me tell you about sin, because sin's not just some category of naughty stuff, it's, it's a brokenness we all share um, with one another. Um, so I think it's just trying to be a bit sophisticated, not to just fall into one trap or the other. Um, but also, the big principle, I think, is, again, pointing people to the Lord Jesus, because no one's going to understand why you would care about using sexuality in a particular way, both heterosexual and homosexual, um, unless you understand who Jesus is. And it's amazing, isn't it? At the end, Jesus points to his identity, I think partly to say, you guys are just seeing me as a kind of another teacher, but actually I'm your God. And I think once we, once we understand that, actually these other questions don't go away, but they fall in, a, in their right place. So um, how should we answer? I probably would say, look at Jesus. Yeah. And do you think there's another question about dealing in a Christian way with people wanting to change their gender or wanting to be gender neutral? Do you think, do you think that's similar? Oh, man, yeah, these are difficult questions, aren't they? Um, thank you. Um, yeah, I think that is similar. I think that yeah. gets me out of it. But just to say, look, you know, I'm, I think we just need to hear this passage right in the sense that these are people who we've seen over chapters after chapter after chapter who have resisted Jesus, who have opposed him. And this is the kind of final moment. Next week, uh, I'll give him this passage to Philip next week. Jesus 
calls out judgment on these people. So I think these are people who have resisted Jesus' call uh, to recognize him as God for a long time. A lot of people are dealing with these questions because they're live issues for them, they're big things uh, in their lives. And so I just encourage us, you know, if that is a particular thing for us as a church, to be asking questions. Um, but having said that, I do think uh, the Lord Jesus has lots to say on that, but probably not enough time for me to do justice. Yeah, now. just trying to think about people's motivation for asking, guess, yeah, exactly, whether they're exactly. trying to catch you out or whether they're yeah. actually wanting to know. And actually, yeah. if, they, if, they ca- if they want you to catch you out, I guess whatever you say, it's not going to be right. Do you know what I mean? They're not, yeah, 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 but yeah, actually, yeah, if, if they're really wanting to know, then actually whatever their issue is, we need to point them to Jesus. Yeah, and I have, you know, if, if someone's asked a hostile question, um, I have said, do you want to know the answer? Because just, you know, if you don't want to know the answer, let's, let's not bother. You know? um, <laughs> not in a horrible way, but just, oh, no. yeah. Um, but it's also good to, I'm not, I'm not very good at this, but um, some people are just coming up with, a, a, like Jesus does, a question, a question or a statement back that kind of rattles the cage. Um, so I, I used to um, have lots of discussions with my non-Christian friends about kind of uh, sex and that sort of thing. And one of my friends said to me, next time you're having those sort of conversations, say to them, Christians have the best sex. And I did. And they got very angry. <laughs> but we had a great discussion off the back of that. So it's just little clever things like that that can open up things. So, um, yeah, try that one tomorrow in the office. <laughs> See how you get on. <laughs> okay, dokes. And um, I guess there is a question sort of looking at sort of issues, live issues for people and people who maybe are asking in, in the right way. And how do we answer people who question God's goodness amongst uh, the current climate we're living in with so many people dying from COVID and wars and deaths and that kind of thing in the world today? Yeah, again, so, you know, you've got the kind of philosophical question that might be hostile and it's, it's, it's asking this question in a bit of a removed way and you've got people who you know are suffering very much from the effects of coronavirus and I think it's just being careful that we don't treat one like the other um, I think what's remarkable is that as you go to the scriptures you see some of the most godly and committed people asking the same questions uh, and of course, we're going to see Jesus on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So these are very real experiences and very genuine questions. And the thing I think I'd say is there's not a kind of snappy answer that says, um, oh, here's the answer to suffering, bish, bash, bosh, you know, done. But actually, it's a, the whole of Scripture speaks about uh, this issue. Um, I think the thing is, I would, again, point to the Lord Jesus because he does give us some answers to suffering. Not that all our answers get questioned. uh, Sorry, all our questions get answered, rather. Um, But actually, here we've got someone who suffers like no one else and yet shows complete faithfulness to God at the same time. And actually, in himself, by his suffering, has promised to end all suffering. And so I'd encourage people to, to investigate him. It's also a good book by Tim Keller on walking with friends in pain and suffering, if this is a big issue. It's, a, it's quite, quite heavy, but, you know, not unreadable. And um, I've just found it very helpful at thinking, not just what does the Christian viewpoint say, but what's the alternative out there? And uh, he's very helpful going through that in a fair way. Thanks. We'll make this the last one now. Okay. Um, Sorry, I'm going on too long. <laughs> no, no. Oh, questions. Can... <laughs> Go on, last one. 
sorry, if it didn't get answered, I'm really sorry. You can have to grab Robert coffee afterwards. Um, how can we become bolder in speaking about our faith? Uh, the questioner says, the thought of difficult questions puts me off bringing it up in any meaningful way. Well, I think go to Matthew chapter 22 and read Jesus deal with these questions. And um, I think, I don't know about you, but that just makes me incredibly uh, excited about the Lord Jesus and his wisdom. And I, I just, you know, I, I don't know how it precisely worked with these Sadducees, but I can imagine these Sadducees, they're probably a bit full of themselves. Uh, there's a historian that writes at the time who basically says no one liked them. They were the kind of guys in charge and they had no friends. And they come up with this kind of sophisticated sort of conundrum. And you can just imagine them over the decades sort of coming up with it and thinking, we'll get Jesus. And he's just like, have you read the scriptures? Do you know the power of God? <laughs> and um, it's just wonderful, isn't it? Because we think actually what seems like a big issue for us, actually, uh, the Bible speaks about. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm going on. How can we be bolder? Um, I think recognize there's a pain barrier and just in one sense, we have to just do it and do it and do it and it becomes easier. But also don't be afraid to say, actually, I don't know. And actually, um, sometimes people raise questions that are very helpful for encouraging us to know more about the Lord Jesus. So um, I think also recognize that as a culture, we're all trying to find, you know, it's not like we, we're all trying to find the truth and the truth is true, whether um, we know it or not. And so I think it's helpful in our culture to say to people, look, um, i think Jesus is the truth, and I think he gives the answers. I don't know everything about him, but, um, you know, let me point you to him. And, um, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. And I guess hopefully if you're in, you were talking about someone, you're in a relationship with someone where you see them at work or wherever, you can say, do you know what, I don't know the answer to that, and it's a really yeah. good question, but yeah. I know this um, chap at my church who does, and then just <laughs> ring you and ask you. Yeah, if you let me you know, know let me have his number, that'd be great. <laughs> but I think, you can, I think you can go back to people and say, do you know, well, that was a really good question, I've thought about it, and actually I think, I think yeah. we, we feel like we have to have a one, we feel like we have to do this, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like have a snappy answer to every single question in the world, whereas actually we can say to people, I don't know, I say that to people about loads of things all the time, but actually if we're pointing them to Jesus and we can say we have these really great opportunities at our church to ask those questions, so, so come along. Can I just say one small thing? So there's a great book by a guy called Randy Newman called Question in Evangelism, and um, what, what he does is uses Jesus's method here, which is basically Jesus asks his question back, which was a kind of classic Jewish way of arguing, um, and he's just very, very helpful at going, we don't have to have all the answers and we don't necessarily need to always be going in really hostile, but just asking key questions of people can just be really helpful at starting conversations. So, you know, often my colleagues at work would, used to go, oh, touch wood, and I'd be like, oh, why'd you do that? Um, oh, I don't know, it's just a habit. But do you know what lies behind that? What do you think about the universe? What, you know, what do you think that's going to bring? You know, silly things like that, but just quite helpful at just asking. You know, you seem very... Um, engaged in and an animated about, you know, climate change. Why is that important to you? Why does it matter we look after our climate? Um, you know, I agree it does, but what's, what lies behind that? And, and just show, showing people actually that unless we have Jesus at the centre, uh, these things um, might not always add up as we think they do.